Good morning. This is part seven of the teaching series that uh, I'm doing here on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This past episode, we were in uh, chapter two, verse one through 10. We started in some conversations in regards to those verses there, and we're going to continue in verse one through through 10 of chapter two uh, today. But before we get into that, I just want a quick review of some of what I shared to tie into this, uh, uh, this episode here. And we looked at, uh, briefly, verses 1 through 3, talking about who we were as we were dead in our trespasses and our sin. We were following the course of the uh, of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who was at work in the sons of disobedience. And we were chasing the passions of our flesh and our desires of our body and mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Those three verses, Paul was setting... Uh, or, or sitting out that we, we were dead, who we were, and it's past tense, not who we are right now, but who we were before we were in Christ, and our condition standing before God. And, and, chapter four, and in chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, he makes a change here, but he says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, and he starts to talk about when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. So he emphasizes uh, some uh, three of God's attributes of mercy, love, and grace there, which reach out to us when we're dead and separated from him. And he saved us. He gave us life. And in, in doing so, he raises up, it says in verse 6, and uh, seated us with him and with Christ in heavenly places. And, um, and he does, did this so that he, he could show the immeasurable gra- riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what we talked about. Uh, last week, so we, this is where we were, and this is who we are now in Christ. We were dead, separated from God. Now we're alive, reconciled to Him, in in, in part of His household. And let's pick up re- reading verses four through uh, seven, uh, just to, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll touch a little bit more on that before we hit verses eight, eight through ten. In um, uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Uh, through seven reads, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us in, in, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm talking about this, these verses already last week, but this week I just want to take a moment to think, think about, look at it from God's perspective. What does this tell us about our Father in heaven and his heart toward us? Now, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 4 and 4 through 5 and verse 11, 4 through 5 reads, For he, God, chose us in him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. In verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the, the counsel of his will. Now if you couple that with chapter 2, verse 4 through 7, where it says, that God being rich in mercy because of, his, of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. 
really, if you see those, see chapter one verse I read and, and chapter two verse four through seven four, or four through six, really, you see that this is God's good pleasure. This is a good pleasure of his will that he is working out according to the counsel of his will. This is what he purposed before creation itself. His desire was for us to experience life in him. See, God did not do this reluctantly. It was his pleasure. He wants and desires for us to sit with him on his throne. He wanted us so much that he endured the cross for that to happen, for that to be a possibility. He delights to give us the kingdom. So Paul wants them and us to see the, the heart of the Father and his heart for us and what he's purposed from us for us as his children before creation, even before, even, even before creation. But there's something else about this that's important for the Ephesians, uh, especially the pagans, and us to know and understand, uh, not just like intellectually, but this is something about, it, about who we are as individuals and uh, what we understand God to be like. See, Paul was, is making this point to the readers who were once enslaved to uh, fear, uh, fate, um, the pagan gods, the stars, the way they saw the, saw, um, saw the pagan gods and how they ruled over the heavens. Remember, they saw different gods had different control um, over different aspects of the heavens. And so they had to, and, and they weren't predisposed to being benevolent to the, to the, uh, to the uh, worshiper, the, the, the pagans, the, the Gentiles here. And so Paul's saying to them, you know, Christ was Christ died. Uh, Christ died so He could forgive us. But not only that, that He would then make us alive in Him, and that He would raise us up to be seated with Christ. And so, as in chapter one, it pictures Christ as over all, every rule, over dominion, every ever power, every rule, every every name that's named. And for them that understood, they were they were they were enslaved to this fear of the these gods that ruled over the different aspects of the heavens and controlled their life and the and the fate of their life. And he now God is Paul saying that God or he he raised you up, he made you alive and raised you up to sit with Christ in a place above all those other uh, evil powers that you you used to worship. And so we're, we, we've been enthroned over them. We, we rule over them with Christ. And Christians, we don't, as Christians, we don't need to fear demons or fate or anything else or these false gods because our lives, their lives, that Paul's writing, are ruled by God. And they must come to a clear perspective of our, our Heavenly Father and His heart toward us and His purpose for us was not just to forgive us our sins and have us live this life in fear and, and uncertainty, but live in a place of certainty knowing we are with Christ in heaven already. And with that, we are seated with Him and we are not to be afraid of those other powers. We, we sit with God who rules over all things. Now, if you think about what I've just been sharing here, and as the question comes up, is, is I want to ask is, what do you think or how do you feel about this truth that you're, you've been made alive, you've been raised up to sit with Christ, and you have this new life, you have a new power, you have a new position of authority, and how, and, 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 and how, how do we respond to this reality that we have in Christ? This is something we all need to come to grips with and, and uh, you know, understand and um, respond in our own life to this truth that who we are in Christ and where we are in Christ. 
And sometimes it's hard to believe and to grasp the fact that we sit with him in a place of authority. But we, we, we must not only believe it, we need to grasp it also. Or, or actually let that take hold of our life and start to shape and change how we see who God is. Uh, who who we are in Him as a part of His plan, seeing His greater plan, His purposes, and so that starts should start to to shape our life and our perspective of what we're a part of, and so that's why Paul prays that prayer. This all ties back into the prayer in, in chapter uh, one, verse fifteen through twenty three, where where he prays that God give them and us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and knowledge of Him, that our eyes be. Uh, enlightened and be flooded with light in such a way that we really know the hope to which he has call, called us. And, and we'd know the riches of his glorious inheritance of saints, and we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power that's already at work in us, working just as the same uh, power that raised Christ from the dead that's working in us. And so Paul's wants us to, to not just uh, learn these things intellectually, as I'm sharing them. You know, Paul's writing to them. His concern is not just that they would get it intellectually; it was that it would become it would be something that possesses they, they possess the truth of that in 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 in, in how it functions in life, but really also that that truth possess them. It becomes it becomes one and the same. This is this is how they understand life and who they are now in, in God. And we need to continue to pray this prayer so we take on this mindset, praying not just for ourselves but our brothers and sisters in Christ and the church at large. Now, it's, it's one thing to, to intellectually um, and even in your heart start to understand uh, our new identity and our, our, our position in Christ and in these new perspectives um, that we gain from Christ. But they, they get confirmed and solidified in us when we start to make changes to our own life, to our own practices and how we live our life and our own, our own priorities. And that they start to match the identity and the new position we have in Christ and the new perspectives and new mindsets, those things start to take shape and really solidify in, in our life when we start changing our practices to match the, the, the new, uh, new identity, the new position, and the new pr- perspectives. So it's important that you make take steps. As you're learning these things, as you're hearing these things, as you're starting to understand what God has uh, uh, done but through Christ and, and uh giving you a new identity and a new position, and uh, you start to put things into practice. Then those things become real and permanent, the part of who you are in Christ in, in the way you live your life. Now, verse 7, uh, is it says, so he does all this. Uh, he, he does God does all this so that in, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his uh, of his, excuse me, the, uh, the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse seven tells us the very reason God gave His life on the cross, and it's to, it was to make us alive in Him, to raise us up and seat us with Him. But not only that, it was that we we would be a, a banner, a, a display of His great riches and His in, uh, riches of His grace. And his kindness toward us. See, this is all about this is all about God. God has a single end in view. See, in the future in coming ages, God's going to show, He's going to display, it's going to demonstrate to all of creation the imp- uh, incomparable, uh, immeasurable riches of his grace. Uh, and this this is going to be seen through us, the ones he has redeemed. 
See, when we and when we live out our salvation right now, when we live out this reality of who we are, this new identity, this new position, this new perspective of who we are, we start to under we live that out. We publicly become a, um, a like a, a display, a, a, a demonstration of God's grace uh, that's at work in us. So the work of Christ that has made sinners saints is in this eternal, perpetual, unchanging monument of His grace and His kindness. And this is not just for the future age. Uh, this work is not just a demonstration for the future ages, but it's it's an ongoing. Uh, there's, there's an ongoing fulfillment of it right now. It gives encouragement to ourselves and others that God is still able to make saints out of sinners. Well, now let's uh, let's look at verse eight through ten of chapter two, and I'll read that. It says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing; it is a gift of God, not a result of works." So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we just finished looking at verses 4 4 through 7, where Paul uh, has been telling them the extent of God's work in them through his grace and mercy. And yet here, verse 8, he starts and he, he makes a statement again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this you're not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Now, why would Paul repeat this, that they're saved by grace? And then he adds the words through faith. And he's already said that to them already. So he's reminding them again. It's second time. He's saying there's something to that, that he's making a point. And see, there's this temptation. The enemy's going to always try to bring, whether it's for them, the readers of that time, or for us, that we, we start to... Uh, judge ourselves and try to establish a place with God based on our efforts. See, that's that's what they came out of. That like the gods, the pagan gods did not um, weren't benevolent, and they had to do sacrifices and religious activities to get the pagan gods to be benevolent and to help them. And here's this temptation. And I, I, that's what how I saw God. He was harsh, mean, and and he was looking to punish me. And I had to do things, even as a young Christian, believing in Jesus and His uh, salvation that he provided through the cross and dying for us. I, I understood the, the Jesus part, loving him. and But the Father, God, that was a, uh, because of my upbringing, saw this, uh, always trying to establish by efforts uh, a place with God. And, and it's where it's where we measure our goodness and we feel good about ourselves and we think think that God does also. And um, that, and, and we're 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 starting to, to to grow and to mature and to gain some spiritual authority and a sense of confidence. And then we start to think like that, that what's happening is maybe it's a result of our works and efforts. We never we would never say that, but we we because of our our experiences and and our background that can be a part of our the way we think. And we we then begin to substitute our work and our efforts for grace. See, this is a temptation we must not be naive about. This is the reality of we live in a culture and a lifestyle all around us that everything is gained by your work, your efforts, and the things you do and how good you are. And this, there's this temptation to see our place with God, our identity with God, our, our position with Christ, and, our, and, and those things as a result of who we are. And though we would never say that or uh, uh, articulate that's what we think or believe that it's a part of our our, our it's, we're surrounded by it we're brought up with it and it's we have to be be careful that we don't let that overcome us 
If we give in to it, we'll start to deceive ourselves and we'll dilute grace and the power of God at work in us. And the focus and the glory will, will, will be about us and on us and not him. And see, remember, this is, this is all about God. It's all about um, uh, showing the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. And Paul is reminding them, for grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Do not forget this. Don't be naive about the enemy's temptations that come, the things that we're surrounded with, the culture, uh, maybe the pre- previous religious experiences. We have to remember what we have uh, our, in our new identity and our, our position with God is not has nothing to do with anything we do. It's not a result of any work we do. It's a gift of God. Like the, the entire process of, of salvation comes from nothing that we have done. That's what Paul is talking about here. It does not have its source in man at all. It's, it is not from ourselves, but, it's, but rather its source is God's grace, for it's, it's the gift of God. If you read uh, John 1, verse 12 through 13, I'll read it here. It says, But to all who did receive him, John's writing about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of, uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So why would God de- design salvation to be this way? Well, if you look at verse, uh, verse 9, it says, So that no one may boast. That's why. See, therefore, since no, no person can bring salvation to himself by his own efforts, no one can boast. So their boasting can only be in the Lord. Once we really understand the riches of his grace that he's lavished on us, we will never boast in ourselves anymore. And all of it will be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Which is uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Now, Here's something to note, just to take take thought of. If you if if you uh, look at the scriptures we've read through so far, you 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 just if you think of read through it, you're going to see it's littered with the words he, him, and his, and they're all references to God. So in Ephesians is a proclamation of the full purpose of God's God, full of God's full purpose for the church, but it's really all about him to the praise of the glory of his grace. As Paul states that three times in those first 14 verses of chapter 1. In these 33 verses that we've read through so far, uh, God mentions himself, whether using the word God, Jesus, his, he, him, or his, 68 times. See, it's going to be what Paul's Paul's stating, and for us to understand, God is doing all this. It's for his pleasure. It's his purposes. It's his calling. It's his blood. It's his will. It's his body. It's his working. It's his grace. It's his glory. It's his power. It's his authority. It's his kindness and goodness. It's his choices. It's his interests. It's his treasure, his inheritance. It's his salvation. It's his workmanship. Romans eleven thirty six puts it this way, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And I've already read from 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. It's to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So this is really all about Him. And really, all of it's done for through Him and for Him and for His glory. And so let's uh, let's move on to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter two, verse ten, and read that the last of the uh, ten verses we're going to be looking at here in the beginning of chapter two. And it reads, "For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." Just the first part of that word, his workmanship. It, 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 that word implies something. It implies ownership. It, it, and what does ownership mean? When you, it, when you own something, you take care of it. You take pleasure in what you create and what you do. You see, in turn, he gets all the credit for what, what our lives all uh, become and what, what happens through them. It's all for God's good glory. So verse 10 says, we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That word workmanship, <clears throat> uh, there's um, a couple of different translations uh, people use in different, whatever uh, Bible translation you have, but here it says his workmanship, or it could also mean his, his craftsmanship. It's something that's manufactured. It's something designed by an artisan who's uh, even, it, 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 it's where we get the word poem or poetry from. So we individually and corporately as a community of believers were his treasure, right? Were his, his artwork, were his masterpiece, his, really his piece of work. And, and it's, it's called into being and it's formed by the creative act of God himself. And so when it talks about his workmanship, see, it's his. He takes pleasure in what he creates and he uh, takes care of what is his own. Just think about how you feel about anything that you have worked on and created. See, you delight in what you create. I think of when when we remodel our house or do when we make some different pieces of work out of out of wood, um, and it reflects my vision, my my taste. Uh, <clears throat> it's even so with God, what He does with our with us and who does through us. We, we, you know, you have a, a, a vision, a, a long-range vision that has multiple parts to create to bring together to fit into your vision. Like I'm, I'm building this this uh, farmhouse table. There's all these different pieces, and I see the bigger picture at the end. But I see I have to see all the little pieces, and I, I fit them together. And there's a sequence of events of putting all that together to bring about the end product. And you can, and you're as you're doing it, as you create it, you know, and you, and there's these intentional adjustments that you make as you're making that to finish the the smaller vision of the pieces, but also the bigger vision of the of the the whole table. And so, so this is God. God takes great delight in us as He works in us. He has He has this long range vision, His grander story, <clears throat> as for all redemptive history for humanity, but also. He has us as individuals and as a community of believers of this long-range vision of making us like Christ. And he has the right to make any adjustments in our life that do not fit with his bigger vision or purpose. And he's not haphazard about it. 
but he's intentional about what he's doing in and through us because he's seeing this uh, bigger picture as he as we read earlier he works all all things according to the purpose or according to the counsel of his will and so he's got this vision he's seeing and he's he's working and he's has us as a part of it we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to be a part of that bigger story to walk with him in these works to do see I know how I feel about the uh, the the pieces I'm making, like like at a table, and enjoying the process, not only in product, but the process of shaping and bringing about this this work of art, if you want to call it that, at the end, this workmanship, my 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 craftsmanship. Well, God feels the same way. He takes pleasure not only in the end of where He's bringing us, but in the process of walking with us, working uh, on us, and working through us to bring about what he's purposed for us. <clears throat> See, there's, there's no one thing that happens in our life that he's that he is not using to bring uh, his purposes to pass in our life. I want to read uh, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, and 1, 11, the tie-in, the, the God who is, where his workmanship and what he's working in us. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4, 5, when, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And see, here's this God who, before creation, knew us and purposed in time uh, of our life to claim us as his own and bring life to us and bring forgiveness, acceptance, bring us into his family, raise us up together with Christ. And now he has these works. He's actually already pre-planned. He's working that that, that, that they're prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. And so he's working all these things. There's an intentionality of bringing about this bigger vision. And that really is not just about cool works we do, but we are the work. We, he's, he's producing Christ in us, not just individually, but together as a community of believers also. If you read eight, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 28 through 31, it reads, And we know that for those who love God, all, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, which his purpose is being Christ-like, right? For those he foreknew, as he talked about in Ephesians, he, before before creation, he he uh, he chose us, right? So before, <clears throat> excuse me, for those for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called; and those whom he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if, if what I've read here in Romans chapter 8 and what I've read here in Ephesians so far, uh, if this is all true, uh, as how God is working all these things according to the counsel of his will, and he's shaping us and working all these things to make us more like Jesus, and there's nothing haphazard in that he does, and the, the, these things are intentional, a part of his work, not that he creates, um, I also want to add, not that he creates hardship and pain and suffering, those things are, that happen in our life, these all work to the glory of his name and to our good and what he's purposed for us, and that is to be more like Jesus. And it says, uh, if, if we understand these things to be true, 
how then should we respond to life and to life's circumstances that happen? First of all, we should now shift from trying, we should shift from this, this aspect, this mindset of trying to control and manipulate circumstances to get something or to become something. See, lots of times we have these, these um, aspirations, these ambitions, these, these things we think uh, this is what we want to be or this is what we want to become or this is what we want to achieve. And lots of times we find ourselves trying to control or to use the circumstances, use the things in our life and mani- hopefully manipulate, manipulate them to get something or to become something that we think we should be. But we should shift from that kind of thinking or even the fear of, of what will be. All those things should be shifting from that to becoming submissive to him, our father, who knew us before creation, who chose us and in love predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ, who's working all things according to the purpose and the counsel of his will, who's right now predestined to conform us to be like his son, Jesus. And he's working in love in us to shape us to be like it. If that's the case, it's time to become submissive to him and to work with him and to allow him to shape us through the circumstances. We then become a display of his immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness. It's not working against him, but walking with him that we're called to do. Even if it's a talk, we're going to read that. We're going to come back to this. We're going to end on this note here. We're going to come back to verse 10 of chapter 2 next episode. It talks about that we should walk in these good works, not that we should work them. And so we are to walk with him in the things he's doing to shape us to be like Christ and shape not just individually, but as a community. Walk with him, submit to those circumstances that are shaping us, and in turn, it demonstrates the riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Well, until uh, next episode, next week, uh, God bless.